Good morning. Um, last week, we finished up the second chapter of James. And we discussed how the whole book of James um, that we've been talking about is um, that James has the audacity inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, if you have been transformed by our Lord Jesus Christ, then that word transformed means that something has to change. Something about you must change. So James goes through and explains um, through the verse, the first two chapters, really. Um, here are some characteristics <clears throat> of someone changed by Jesus, and here are some things that should not be characteristics. And um, some of these things that are in your life and in my life, not stumbles, but things that seem to remain there, James simply asks the questions, why are they there? Because if Jesus has actually given you a new heart, then here is what a child of God ought to look like. Um, And here's what they should not look like. And um, so we're going to go into chapter three today. Um, And there's, we're going to be talking about the tongue quite a bit, the first 12 verses. So I am reading out of the New King James. Um, And there's nowhere else in the scriptures really that spends as much time on the topic of taming the tongue than the first um, part of James chapter 3. Now, it is mentioned numerous times. uh, We know that. But James really goes deep on the subject here. So, let's go ahead and look at verse 1. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, there's nothing quite like having a brother or sister in Christ that is willing to come to you when you're wrong and tell you that you're wrong, right? That's uh, that's somebody that really cares about you. Now, there are certainly people who will take that to the extreme and they feel like they have to tell you everything that you do is wrong. Um, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about those that you know and love and trust, Um that when they come to you, you know it's out of love and you know it's um, a, a challenge to you, basically, in order to edify you, right? Uh, they can see, maybe they could see something from a different uh, perspective other than your own to where they'd be like, hey, we need some, we need to see some growth here or, you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, well, James comes right out and says, listen, there are not many of you who are qualified to be teaching. And he says the reason is because you know that you will be judged more strictly. Now that is a good reminder for me as I sit here and teach. Um, I need to hear this loud and clear. James is confirming here that anyone who says, I will teach the word of God, well, James says clearly, that person is held to a higher degree and a higher standard in comparison to someone who is not teaching, meaning that not just anybody should be teaching. Now, also keep in mind what it does not say, because it does not say that teachers will be esteemed for their role, um, but only criticized more harshly. So if you are teaching 
for the purpose of self-glorification. It, it ain't coming. <laughs> um, this is one of the reasons that I take issue uh, with new converts or even immature Christians who immediately want to teach. Um, if you've been in church for very long, um, you've seen this happen. Uh, and it happens particularly with our youth program. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm talking our church, but um, American church uh, in general, but ours also. Um, now, I've said this before, and I've even been kind of questioned about it. They say, well, how can you be the judge of whether or not someone is a mature Christian? Well, how can we tell? Well, we talked about it last week. It's really easy. By their works, right? And mature Christians should not be getting caught up in squabbles with their brethren. Um, They should conduct themselves with class. They should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And they should be well-respected in the church. Right? And, And if that's not the case, then really you don't meet the qualifications, and that's kind of in a nutshell. That's another topic we'll get into uh, some other week. <clears throat> but do you ever notice how quickly people volunteer to help with the youth program? But how few volunteer to teach an adult class? Why is that? Well, because there's a lot more work. There's a lot more responsibility. There's a lot more accountability right? involved in teaching adults. Especially those, if you're listening to this, you've most likely been a Christian far longer than I have. But see, kids won't challenge you when you teach. They won't, very few will challenge you on your teaching. So to be frank, why do people line up for to help the youth and not adult classes? Frankly, because it's easier, right? It's just easier. And when you start looking at this, for those of you who went through the book of Hebrews um, with Cameron, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews, excuse me, is coming back to them and he's saying, some of you should be teaching by now, right? Some of you should be. And the writer of Hebrews then says, as much as you have been taught, some of you should be teaching by now, but I have to come back and go back through the basic oracles of God because you refuse to move on to the meat. Because every time that I come back to you, you have not progressed, you have not matured, and you still demand the milk. So are these two writers contradicting each other? No. They are actually saying the same thing, James and the writer of Hebrews. right? They're saying the same thing just from two different angles. Let me explain Again, they are complementary, not contradictory. So James is saying, some of you want to teach, but shouldn't. You're not mature enough. And then um, the writer of Hebrews says, some of you should be teaching by now, but you won't do what's required of you and grow up and mature. You've heard, um, you know, you've heard enough teaching, but you aren't applying it. So they're talking basically to the same idea here, right? The writer of Hebrews says, we've taught and taught and taught, and yet you refuse to listen. And then James is saying, hey, look, some of you 
aren't ready for that. Some of you, some of you just haven't grown up. You haven't matured, or maybe you haven't had the time to mature in your faith a little to be a teacher. So he's again saying, some of you, if a trial was put on your life that would qualify you to teach, you wouldn't pass. So this is what we must put before ourselves today. If you or I were sitting in front of our church leadership and they say, so we hear you'd like to teach a class, how would you do? Would they, would they be laughing on the inside, you know? But if they took the, the standard that is biblically required for you to teach, how would you do? Sadly, most churches across America have this attitude that if we were to hold all of our teachers to that high of a standard, then we wouldn't have many teachers. Good. Good. Right? Good. Because if we don't have enough people that are willing, qualified, and acceptable to teach five classes, you know what? Have bigger classes. And if we don't have enough people qualified to teach two adult classes in a church of 150-plus members like ours, then there's something wrong. There's got to be something wrong with our understanding of the Scriptures. You know, don't put people in a position to teach if they aren't qualified and if they haven't shown themselves approved. Excuse me. So if your excuse for putting someone who is unqualified in a position because you want them to get, you know, plugged in, then you are doing them and the church and yourself a disservice that could cause permanent damage. Now, do we understand really this horrible cycle that we would be starting and that the American church has started. We are now putting people who need to learn from someone in a class learning from someone who never learned it. We should never lower the standard so that more people have the opportunity to teach. Instead, we should keep that standard where it is and encourage people to strive for the standard and to show themselves approved and to be above reproach, right? To show themselves that they are ready. And we'll get into that here in just a second. Excuse me. I've been been losing my voice, struggling losing my voice this week. So let's go into verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So James starts out by saying that none of us are perfect, but if you want to get closer to perfection, anyone who can control their tongue and know when to remain silent or when it is prudent to speak that person has solved most of their problems. Now, he's going to expound on what he means by that, Um, but I want to pause for a moment and just clarify here that I'm not there yet, okay? I'm not there. Um, I need this lesson more than most, 
And thankfully, just by preparing this lesson, it has already stopped me in my tracks a few times just this week. Now, let me also clarify that everything that we're about to discuss isn't speech alone, but also uh, texting and emails and Facebook posts, comments, things like that, okay? So, obviously, you know, this was in the time before computers, internet, and stuff like this, but specifically, what he's talking about is anytime that someone gets a response from us, be careful what we say and how we say it. So this is so applicable today because just think about how quick and easy it is for you to ruin your witness. Let's look in verse 3. It says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Think about this. Have you ever seen those huge thoroughbred horses coming out of the gate in a race? These gigantic and majestic animals now isn't it isn't it amazing and slightly hilarious to see these creatures these beasts with all their power being controlled by a little 90 to 100 pound person sitting on top of them and they're guiding them the whole time they have control over them well how are they guiding them with a small bit very small bit in their mouth, right? So James is saying, if we can get control over a small thing and we can control the mouth so that it obeys us, so does the whole body. Let's look at verses four and five. It says, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little little fire kindles. So, the tongue, however small a member, has great and terrible power. And the man that has power and control over his tongue has defeated a lot of problems in a fallen creation. Now, have you seen the um, the fires in California and Colorado? They're they're enormous, right? Devastating to many people, and they all started with just a little fire, uh, sparks, even you know, and and look at the destruction that it's caused. Now, in a similar way, but a more uh, but a better analogy here is look at someone like Adolf Hitler. A tiny man with a tiny tongue, right? And with that tiny member, he changed the lives of millions and changed history forever. Little fires can create a huge blaze. And this is the nature of the tongue. Let's look at verses um, 6 through 8 here. It says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. 
It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, do you think that James is serious about what we say and what we do? He is saying that mankind has been able to control so many things, so many different creatures and beasts, and, 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 you know, we're at the top of the food chain, and, but not only that, we, we govern the world, right? Um, as far as in a, you know what I mean, as far as in like a here and now physical sense, like we govern the world. But the tongue, the tongue has yet to be controlled. The tongue is so full of poison and has done so much damage that if we could just get it under control, we would be so much better off. Now go back to what he said early on, right, about teaching. He said the reason that some of you shouldn't teach is because you can't control your tongue and you're not even trying. You aren't even making an attempt at this um, sanctification process that God desires for you, which shows that you lack obedience and lacking obedience shows that you lack Christian character. So if you lack Christian character, then how can you be trusted with teaching the gospel? So let's take it a step further and think about a time where you specifically didn't tame your tongue and think about the damage that it caused. I'm going to tell you little personal story here an anecdote to to, to um, emphasize this point is uh, you know I don't have a good relationship with my father um, for anyone that, that knows him uh, you know why I'm not going to go into that but I still remember specific times where he didn't tame his tongue and it cut me now I also remember the few times that he actually encouraged me and they are both equally as strong they're both equally as powerful And I can tell you from experience, I'm talking to you parents specifically, when your child comes to you excited about something, do you know how easy it is to destroy their enthusiasm? Just act like you don't care. That's all it takes. Act like you don't care. You can take a day of celebration in their eyes and completely destroy it in an instant. Right? I'll tell you this story. My dad is a pipe welder, um, and I never cared about welding. I was that, that kid that I was like, I am not doing what my dad does. Um, I was never interested in it, not even slightly. But one year in my middle school ag class, uh, we started going over stick welding, which is uh, what my dad does. And I found that I had this natural talent for it. I just, you know, it's like some people are talented with basketball and other things. Well, I just found that I caught on very quickly to um, stick welding well I started honing it in because I knew that this was something um, one of the few things really that my dad would be proud of me for because the first day that I came home and told him we were even talking about it I could see his eyes kind of light up you know he was kind of excited now when you stick weld for those of you that have never done it after you after you actually weld and the weld cools um, you have to chip off the impurities that are burned away. So um, much like if, if you've been following along my lessons, we talked about the silver. In the same way, the, that weld, when you weld it, 
that um, that those impurities build up on top of the weld, and it's called flux. And you just take a little, like a little pick, a very tiny little pick, and it just you hit it, and it it's pretty brittle, and it just breaks off, right? Now, if you have a good weld, the weld could can actually start to peel, or that flux can actually start peeling off all by itself, right? Well, one day I had a perfect weld, perfect. The weld was so good that the flux, that flux I was talking about, peeled itself completely away and fell off the weld all by itself. I didn't have to touch it. So as it cooled, it just peeled itself off. And what I was left with was about this this five-inch piece of, like, very brittle flux. Think of it like an eggshell. It's like a long, thin, very thin eggshell. That's how... But I, I was like, I, my dad will not believe me if I don't, if I don't bring this home. But I was so excited that I took it with me and I babied it for the, the remaining, it was like three periods left in the day. And then an hour long bus ride home, hoping that it wouldn't break, right? Now, unfortunately, a kid on my bus accidentally broke it in half. It happens, but I was super disappointed, you know. But when I got home, I showed him anyway. So I come in the door and I was like, dad, check this out. I know it's broken, right? But I had the two pieces. I said, but look at this. And I laid it on the table. I said, look at this. I've made a perfect weld today. And he looked at it and you know what he said? So what? I do that at least two or three times a day. Now, any enthusiasm that I had to pursue welding was gone in that moment. 20 years ago and I still remember it to this day anytime I have to weld something which is rare but for work or just otherwise that's the first thing that comes to my mind my point is this your words have a lot of power and they have the power to build up and to edify or to degrade and destroy the things that we say stay Look at verses um, 9 through 12. Talking about the tongue, it says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So we will praise God on Sundays, but we will use bad language, foul language really, blaspheme God's name, and we will destroy others with our words on Monday. And sometimes we don't wait that long. James is saying that clearly that shouldn't be the case. You know, he's saying, who do you say that you belong to? But you're going to act and say things like this? This is the, this is the combination here of, of chapters 2 and 3. He's saying, well, I've got news for you. You can't be a good tree and bear bad fruit. You can't say that you're a fig tree and bear olives. You can't claim to be a new creation, a child of God, and bring forth the fruit of sin and death. 
Now, you can make that claim, but it doesn't make it true. So if you are bearing bad fruit, what kind of tree does that make you? Because an apple tree can't accidentally bear oranges, right? Now, what I'm talking about here is I'm not talking about when we stumble, okay? I'm talking about habitual sin here. Because if you're bearing the fruit of a sinful lifestyle, open disobedience and carnality, it isn't because of some freak occurrence. But perhaps you've just mislabeled yourself, right? Um, if you've ever seen that movie, Secondhand Lines, it's, it's one of my favorites. Near the end of the movie, when the uh, I think they're brothers, the two brothers are, um, they decide to spend some of their money and buy some seeds and they plant it, right? And if you know the movie, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Is they they planted corn. And they had lettuce, and they had cabbage, and they had carrots, and tomatoes, and this and this. Well, they planted all these seeds, and they watered them, and they worked the garden. And over time, all that started coming up looking the same, right? And they found out that the salesman had swindled them, and it was all corn, every bit of it, right? Now, does that mean that corn was a tomato? No, it means it was mislabeled. So examine yourself. This is what James is telling us here. Examine the product that comes from your lips. Is it God-honoring? Is it sanctifying? Is it edifying and holy? Or is it vile poison set on fire by hell? You cannot separate whose you are from what you do. Now, I know this was um, a bit of a short lesson in comparison to most weeks. Yay! (laughs) Most of you are probably saying. Um, Next week, I do plan on uh, finishing up Chapter 3. We're getting close to the end of this book. Um, If if you have any suggestions or you would like to, um, you know, suggest what book we go through next, um, leave a comment down below because I'm I'm open for whatever. I'd I'd love to hear your opinions. if, if you're watching at home, again, I appreciate you guys watching and, and spending the time uh, to to sit and listen to me. Um, I appreciate your confidence. I, I covet your prayers. Um, but uh, would love to see you in class if you could make it, 930 at Old Brazier's Chapel. And um, I hope you have a good week. I'm just going to close it out there. I, I hope you guys have a great week. Um, uh, I will make sure to pray over all the people in this class, as many of you I know by name and generally. Um, but again, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you. And have a great week, and I'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>